Section 19 of Letters to Dead Authors This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Algie Pug Letters to Dead Authors by Andrew Lang 19. To Robert Burns Sir, among men of genius, and especially among poets, there are some to whom return with a peculiar and unfeigned affection. There are others whom we admire rather than love. By some we are one with our will, by others conquered against our desire. It has been your peculiar fortune to capture the hearts of a whole people, a people not usually prone to praise, but devoted with a personal and patriotic loyalty to you and to your reputation. In you, every Scot, who is a Scot, sees, admires, and compliments himself, his ideal self, independent, fond of whisky, fonder of the lassies. You are the true representative of him and of his nation. Next year will be the hundredth since the press of Kilmarnock brought to light its solitary masterpiece, your poems. And next year, therefore, methinks, the revenues will receive a welcome accession from the abundance of whisky drunk in your honour. It is a cruel thing for any of your countrymen to feel that where all the rest love, he can only admire. Where all the rest are idolaters, he may not bend the knee, but stands apart and beats upon his breast, observing, not adoring, a critic. Yet to some of us, petty souls perhaps, and envious, that loud, indiscriminating praise of Rabbi Barons, for so they style you in their change-house familiarity, has long been ungrateful. And among the treasures of your songs, we venture to select, and even to reject. So must it be. We cannot all love Haggis, nor Pench, Tripe, and Therm, and all those rural dainties which you celebrate as warm reeking rich, rather too rich, as the young lady said on an occasion recorded by Sam Weller. Oh, Scott, that wants nae skinking wear that jobs in luggies, but he wish a grateful prayer, gie her a haggis. You have given her a haggis with a vengeance, and her grateful prayer is yours for ever. But if even an eternity of partridge may pall on the epicure, so of haggis too, as of all earthly delights, cometh satiety at last. And yet what a glorious haggis it is, the more emphatically rustic and even fenniskine part of your verse. We have had many a rural bard since Theocritus watched the visionary flocks, but you are the only one of them all who has spoken the sincere Doric. Yours is the talk of the buyer and the plough-tale. Yours is that large utterance of the early hinds. Even Theocritus minces matters, save where Lacon and Comatus quite outdo the swains of Ayrshire. But the Theocritus, what matches? you ask, and yourself outmatch him in this wide, rude region, trodden only by the rural muse. The rural loves a nature's cell, and the wooer of Jean Amor speaks more like a true shepherd than the elegant daftness of the Orestes. 
Indeed it is with this that moral critics of your life reproach you, forgetting, perhaps, that in your amours you were but as other Scotch ploughmen and shepherds of the past and present. Ettrick may still, with Afghanistan, offer matter for idols, as Mr. Carlyle, your antithesis, and the complement of the Scotch character, supposed. But the morals of Ettrick are those of rural Sicily in old days, or of Mosgil in your days. Over these matters the Kirk, with all her power, and the Free Kirk, too, have had absolutely no influence whatsoever. To leave so delicate a topic, you were but as other swains, or as that Birkica a lord, Lord Byron. Only you combined, in certain of your letters, a libertine theory with your practice. You poured out in song your audacious raptures, your half-hearted repentance, your shame, and your scorn. You spoke the truth about rural lives and loves. We may like it or dislike it, but we cannot deny the verity. Was it not as unhappy a thing, sir, for you, as it was fortunate for letters and for Scotland, that you were born at the meeting of two ages and of two worlds, precisely in the moment when bookish literature was beginning to reach the people, and when society was first learning to admit the low-born to her minor mysteries? Before you, how many singers, not less truly poets than yourself, though less versatile, not less passionate, though less sensuous, not less simple, had been born and had died in poor men's cottages. There abides not even a shadow of a name of the old Scotch songsmiths, of the old ballad-makers, the authors of Clark Saunders, of the wife of Usherswell, of Fair Annie, and Sir Patrick Spens, and the Bonnie Hind, are as unknown to us as Homer, whom in their directness and force they resemble. They never, perhaps, gave their poems to writing. Certainly they never gave them to the press. On the lips and in the hearts of the people they have their lives, and the singers, after a life obscure and untroubled by society or by fame, are forgotten. The iniquity of oblivion blindly scattereth his poppy. Had you been born some years earlier, you would have been even as these unnamed immortals, leaving great verses to a little clan, verses retained only by memory. You would have been but the minstrel of your native valley. The wider world would not have known you, nor you the world. Great thoughts of independence and revolt would never have burned in you. Indignation would not have vexed you. Society would not have given and denied her caresses. You would have been happy. Your songs would have lingered in all the circle of the summer hills. And your scorn, your satire, your narrative verse would have been unwritten or unknown. To the world, what a loss! And what a gain to you! We should have possessed but a few of your lyrics, as... Where o'er the hill the eastern star tells boatin' time is near, my joe, and ousen fray the furrowed field, return see do and weary o. Oh. How noble that is, how natural, how unconsciously Greek. You found, oddly, in good Mrs. Barbold the merits of the tenth muse. In thy sweet sang, Barbald survives even Sappho's flame. But how unconsciously you remind us both of Sappho and of Homer in these strains about the evening star. 
and the hour when the day met in liceto bulletuide had you lived and died the pastoral poet of some silent glen such lyrics could not but have survived free too of all that in your songs reminds us of the poet's corner in the kirkwood bright adviser phoebus gilding the brow a morning banishes ilk darksome shade still we might keep a love poem unexcelled by catullus had we never love so kindly had we never love so blindly never met and never parted we had ne'er been broken-hearted but the letters to clorinda would have been unwritten and the thrush would have been untaught in the style of the bird of paradise a quiet life of song Valentis semita vitae was not to be yours fate otherwise decreed it the touch of a lettered society the strife with the kirk discontent with the state poverty and pride neglect and success were needed to make your genius what it was and to endow the world with tam o'shanter the jolly beggars and holy willie's prayer who can praise them too highly who admire in them too much the humour the scorn the wisdom the unsurpassed energy and courage so powerful so commanding is the movement of that beggar's chorus that methinks it unconsciously echoed in the brain of our greatest living poet when he conceived the vision of sin you shall judge for yourself recall here to budgets bags and wallets here's to all the wandering train here's all our ragged bairns and colours one and all cry out amen a fig for those by law protected liberty's a glorious feast courts for cowards were erected churches built to please the priest then read this drink to lofty hopes that cool visions of a perfect state drink we last the public fool frantic love and frantic hate drink to fortune drink to chance while we keep a little breath drink to heavy ignorance hob and knob with brother death is not the movement the same though the modern speaks a wilder recklessness so in the best company we leave you who were the life and soul of so much company good and bad no poet since the psalmist of israel ever gave the world more assurance of a man none lived a life more strenuous engaged in an eternal conflict of the passions and by them overcome mighty and mightily fallen when we think of you byron seems as plato would have said remote by one degree from actual truth and musset by a degree more remote than byron End of section 19